0: Somebody said, uh, I was talking to somebody this morning and they found that I was speaking and said, oh, that's exciting. I said, yeah, it's also terrifying. I don't know which direction I'm leaning more towards this morning. But I, I am very excited. As, uh, I feel like the grace of God's really on me this morning because this is the least nervous I've been to speak somewhere. And I think the last time I spoke on a Sunday morning was a, a friend in New Orleans with a whole three people in the congregation, two of which were on their cell phones uh, most of the time. So, but it looks like I'm reaping that three and it turned uh, about a hundredfold. So that's exciting. Uh, let's, let's go to Mark 13. Will y'all stand for the reading uh, today? We'll start in verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for ye you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye you know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And when I say unto you, I say unto all I'll watch. Father God, I just pray that you would be present, that your Holy Spirit would just come upon me and allow the words that I speak today not to be of any kind of vanity, but to be solely of you and not of any carnal thinking or anything of the flesh, God, but I pray that you'd make us all receptive of of your word today, Lord, and I just ask for your presence, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I felt like one thing that was pressing on my heart as I read this this week, and this was not really the the center of what I even wanted to speak about when I was reading in one of my uh, readings one night and the word authority just popped out in, in verse 34 it says the for the son of man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and so that's Jesus he's returned up to be seated at the right hand of the father and he gave you authority and I felt like the question that the Lord wanted him to ask is what are you doing with your authority and that's something that, that I have to check in my own life because being, we were in New Orleans. Uh, October would have been two years. We moved back right at the end of July. And so it's just consistently, you're going out ministering, consistently going out ministering. And then you come here and then all of a sudden it's just like, okay, you know what do you do? You go to Walmart to minister. You know, you can. Uh, and it's probably a good place to do it. I know some people do it and that's awesome. But what are you doing in your life with the authority that God's given you? And what is the purpose that you've found that God is going to use you. What is the will for God in your life? And how are you using the authority of God to perform in that will? Acts chapter 1, what I want to talk about today is living the anointed life. And I feel like there's a little bit of a shift in worship. Um, because I was, was pretty sure that I knew the direction that the Lord was leading me on today. Um, but I noticed a little bit of a pattern. It seemed like we started in worship with the blood of Jesus. And then it went to the return of Jesus, and then I can only imagine when it's going to be like in the kingdom of heaven. So uh, what I feel like today is not as much of maybe what I was thinking it was. It's the same thing, but from a different perspective of this, this is a preparation moment. What are we doing with what God's done for us? You know, Titus chapter 2 talks about... Um, um, waiting for that blessed hope. We're to be a church that is that is awaiting for Jesus Christ's return. And what are we doing today? Are we just coming to church on Sundays? Are we just what are we doing in the day to day, seven days a week to advance the kingdom of God? I like who was I don't I think it was uh was it Spurgeon? It was like if you're not seeking to take people to heaven with you, you're not going there yourself. Uh, that's a very burdensome thought, but what are we doing to advance the kingdom of God? If you have to start by only inviting somebody to the church, that's okay. If you are not immediately at the place where you're bold enough to go up to somebody and present the gospel to them, well, you've got to start somewhere. I know the first time I ever ministered to somebody was in Nashville, and he was, uh, he was an alcoholic homeless man. and. I tried, and I failed. I bombed it. Gave him some Tums for his heartburn, and that was about it. But the next time, the next time was life changing. And that shaped, that was in New Orleans, and that shaped our entire lives. We ended up moving there, and the, there was a level of the anointing that we walked in that we had never walked in before. If you will take that risk and take that sacrifice to do something that maybe makes you a little bit uncomfortable, he will reward you with the ability to go further than you've ever been in, in, in the past. Acts chapter 1. I want to talk about the anointing. I was a little bit concerned. Can I have my water, please? I was a little bit concerned about talking about this because when we started J3-8 and revision 2018 was really centered around the anointing, and uh, I remember I was very confused. I didn't have an idea what that meant. But everything sounded so good. It sounded so spiritual. And there were some great speakers, but it was just, I was kind of clueless. And when I felt like the Lord really dropped this in my heart, I really wanted to take some time to present a little bit of milk before we get into it today. Talk about what the anointing is. I'm sorry, I said Acts chapter one, but I added a note this morning. John 14. Verses 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may be able to abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. We're talking, this is the Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth them not, neither knoweth them. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So Jesus has given a promise. He's saying, you, you're already familiar with the Holy Spirit because you've been with him. You've been in the presence of God. You know what that feels like. We were in the presence of God this morning. The key in the anointing is when you're not just in the presence of God, but when the presence of God is in you. That's the difference. Right. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, Jesus is, is telling them before his ascension. And he's uh, kind of uh, preceding Acts chapter 2 with a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But he says, but you shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and he shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So what is the anointing? The anointing is the Spirit of God coming upon you, the very presence of God, not just surrounding you, but what you've been surrounded by has become within inside of you, and you're able to actually carry that into the world. And the key is this, because he, he, right here in verse 8, he talks about that you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What is the direct thing that he informed people to do when this power has come upon you? You'll be a witness. When you've received the anointing of God, the goal that God has set out for you, the purpose and the will of God, whatever form that may be, but is to be a witness of God, to be a witness of Jesus Christ. To share about, we sting about his blood this morning. What are we doing to talk about his blood? What are we doing in our day-to-day, in our week-to-week, where we are actually presenting somebody with the opportunity of salvation by talking about the blood of Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians talks about that from the, the foolishness of preaching, is how we're saved. That it's something that's so simple as having a conversation with somebody and talking about the gospel is the very thing that could be the key to their eternal life. If they don't hear it, they can't believe it. You know, there's a lot of preachers, uh, because of all these different beliefs that's come in, all these different doctrines, and we even go as far as saying that somebody that's never heard of Jesus can love him. And that I understand that when we talk to people, when we evangelize to people that are really nice, it's really hard to talk about eternal judgment. It's hard to talk about sin. But that doesn't give us an excuse not to. Because that will be the thing that hinders them from the gospel. That will be the thing that hinders them from the presence of God and never being able to receive the anointing in the first place. Ever being able to receive their salvation. Acts chapter 2 gives a... Uh, a good demonstration, you'll have to turn there, but that's where the, the Holy Spirit is poured out with that, that, uh, that promise in Joel of the Holy Spirit that the sons and daughters would prophesy and they spake with new tongues. That, that's where that promise was fulfilled, but you also see the same thing that Jesus just talked about. You know him because he's been with you, but he will be in you. The first thing that the Holy Spirit did was not enter the people, it was actually enter the room. He filled the room first before he actually filled the apostles. And so we have to get into a place where we're in the presence of God, and we have to get people into a place where they're in the presence of God so that they, you can't have inside of you what you never experience. You know, You can't eat at a restaurant without actually going to the restaurant. You, you have to have what you're in to become what's inside of you. 1 Corinthians. I'm going to, and this is going to be a little bit of a, a, a leap, but I feel like it's important to realize what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. What is it? And we're not talking about gifts. I don't really want to go into all that this morning. There's some great teachings on that. I know Pastor Greg has done some great teachings on that, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. I want to talk about just the practical of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like in in your day to day, how does that affect your relationship with God? Because if you have been justified, you've put your faith in Jesus and believe that he died on the cross and he rose again and that that blood has forgiven you, that's amazing, that's awesome, but there's a lot more to it. That's just the forgiveness of sins. What about all the things, all the promises that comes after that? Acts chapter two, we'll start in verse nine. But as it is written, I hath not seen, and I'm sorry y'all, I'm in the KJV today. That's the King Jesus version. I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And this is what I've kind of found interesting. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given." To us of God. So that tells me that it actually has a lot to do about thoughts, but a lot about your mind. Because it says, Who can know the thoughts of man? Who can know the, the character of man? Who can know the ideas of man but the spirit of man that is within him? Same thing with God. Who searches for the deep things of God but the spirit of God? Now, this is what's really cool, and I don't think that we fully comprehend or understand this. Figure our minds would just blow up if we did, but God has given us of his spirit. That, that's what Jesus, when he ascended, he gave us of his spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. That's really cool. Like, he sent the spirit of God that we can receive of him. And so what that means, if the spirit searches the thoughts of God and we have the Holy Spirit, we have access to the thoughts of God. And that's where revelation is. That's where learning to hear the voice of God comes in. When I know it's for a lot of people, it's like, what do you mean you can hear from God? Well, the Holy Spirit brings revelation. You know, whether it's through reading the word, the word is... Uh, an embodiment of some of the thoughts and character of God. It reveals the character of God. This is one way that God speaks to us. But also another thing is God reveals things into our our spirit man, reveals things inside of us. It's, it's, It's those moments where it's like, I know I'm not smart enough to think that up. That was just too good. I have a lot of those. It's just, I know there's no way. There's no way that I could ever come up with something that good. That that's the Spirit of God revealing things to us that is beyond. That's the thought of God. You're tapping into the authority and thoughts of God. Um 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, you don't have to flip there. But that's the scripture where it says pray without ceasing. And that word pray, if you look it up in the Greek, it kind of ties in as 1 Corinthians 2 here. If you look it up in the Greek, it's um, it's like a two-part kind of a, I don't know if you call it prefix and suffix in Greek, but. When you break it up into two words, it means two things. One is to be exchanged, and the other is, like, ideas, thoughts, wishes, prayer. So when you pray without ceasing, you're actually living a lifestyle to where you're exchanging your thoughts and ideas for God's thoughts and ideas. How can the, why don't you really see that kind of language in the Old Testament? Because the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out had not yet been fulfilled. We have to have the Holy Spirit to be able to exchange our thoughts and our wishes, our ideas for God. That This is a removal of carnal thinking. It's a removal of fleshly attitude. This is why it's so important to have a prayer closet, to have a place where you get away and you seek God, where there's no distractions, because the Holy Spirit, when you get alone with God and you begin to pray and you have that intimacy with Christ, it's going to begin to remove all that fleshly thinking. It's going to remove that, that carnal, those carnal thoughts. It's going to remove all those things in the character that you used to have. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. There's a newness that comes in Christianity. Even look at the name Christian. What does it mean to be Christian? Is little anointed one. That's, that's the difference between a believer. There's a lot of believers in the world. There's not a lot of Christians. There's not a lot of people that are walking in the full potential of the anointing on their lives. So to pray without ceasing is actually to live a lifestyle that through intimacy with Christ and fellowship with the Holy Spirit exchanges our thoughts and wishes for God's thoughts and wishes. It's not a one-sided conversation. First Peter, one, two. We're going through three things real quick, just to build a, a foundation to give a little bit of the milk behind all this to see what the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we're filled with Him. First Peter, chapter one, verse two elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So I know this kind of a, seems like it's really taken out of context, but what I want to focus on is where it talks about that we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he died on the cross, you can look at I think it's Romans chapter 4. It talks about justification. Jesus, when he died on the cross, if we put our faith in him and we believe in him, we can have forgiveness of sins. That is the justification, justification by faith alone. That is not the sanctification. The difference between justification and sanctification, sanctification only comes by the Holy Spirit, so this is a product of the anointing. Sanctification comes by the Holy Spirit and removes the actual sin nature from you. It is, is the process of becoming holy. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. And he says, with our holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it is a requirement that you actually need to be sanctified. A lot of people have received the forgiveness of sins, they've been justified, but the sanctification part, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the anointing kind of makes a lot of people uncomfortable. They think think that God's gonna make them do all these weird things, and he might, but you're also a lot bolder to be able to do it when you have the anointing as well. Sanctification, that is the process of being made holy. Through the cross of Christ, we're justified and we place our faith in him, but through the Holy Spirit, we are sanctified. This could be looked at as saying that the blood of Christ on the cross brings forgiveness, but the anointing gives the power to turn from our sinful nature. Remember, even in that that process of sanctification, that in that time of praying without ceasing, we're exchanging our thoughts and ideas for his. That in itself is a removal of that fleshly thinking, that carnal nature. All right, so that's, that's some of the milk. That's a little basic idea of, of what does it look like to live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The three things we've looked at, three things the Holy Spirit produces. Number one, the manifestation of the power of God in us, that's Acts 1.8. Access to the mind, of char- mind and character of God, that's that 1 Corinthians 2. And sanctification to make us holy, and that's that 1 Peter chapter 1. All right, now I want to talk about levels of the anointing. The reward of, of sacrifice. What does it take to walk in the anointing to a greater level and a greater extent than maybe what you've not experienced yet in your life? Second Kings chapter 3. Is this making sense? A little bit of the context of what's going on in this passage is the kings of Samaria, Judah, and Edom are, are seeking Elisha. They want the word of the Lord because they're about to go up against the Moab, and they basically want to know whether they're uh, about to lose or not. Second Kings chapter 3, starting in verse thir- uh, 15. I'm sorry, verse 15. This is Elisha, Elisha speaking. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches, for thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water that you may drink, both you and your cattle and your beast. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And he shall smite every fenced city, and every choice city shall fell. Every good tree, and stop all wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones. Verse 20, And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered... Now behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. I know there's a lot of passages, but there's a, there's a hidden uh, kingdom principle in this. Promise was offered, but it wasn't until verse 20 when the meat offering was offered that the promise was fulfilled. That tells me this kingdom principle is that it's not in a time of extravagance. It's not in the time of somebody doing something crazy or extraordinary. But it's in time of your usual sacrifice. The continual disciplines you have, the willingness that you have to lay your flesh down, to lay yourself down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, that that's when the promise is fulfilled. Mark, uh, Mark 9 kind of goes along with this as well going to be a lot of scripture today. This is a, a man that approaches Jesus, and he's, he's telling him that he has this uh, son with a deaf and dumb spirit, and he casts himself into the fire and the water, and he approaches the disciples, and the disciples are not able to cast the evil spirit out. And so Jesus, will start in verse uh, 25, uh, starting with the red letters there, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming in the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And he said unto, unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So the question is like, okay, we're in this, you know, they're in this moment. Did he mean that we need to be praying and fasting this week to see this demon come out? I think what Jesus is saying, that you need a lifestyle. We know that the disciples didn't have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting because uh, what was it, the Pharisees came to Jesus and was like, why don't your disciples fast? And we see later when Jesus was in the garden, he approaches uh, Peter and, and is like, can you not pray for one hour? So we see that there wasn't really this good lifestyle of prayer and fasting. There wasn't a whole lot of discipline that they yet walked in. And you see it later in their lives and then you also see the anointing come in into lives in a powerful way. The thing that is going to allow you, you and I, to really be able to walk in the power of God is when we're able to get away from the flesh. When we're able to get away from from the our own way of doing life and our own comforts. You, You ever tried to pray before and you know that you've committed a sin. And so it feels really hard to get into the presence of God. You know, the, I've, I've done this before. Something so simple where it's just like you're up late at night and there's just that last little Debbie. And, and you want it really bad. But you know, it's like, if I eat that, I'm going to be a glutton. And, uh, and then you eat it. And, and then you wake up the next morning and it's just, oh, my goodness, where is God? You know, he just disappeared with a Twinkie. He is gone. <laughs> Uh, that, that's a very fleshly moment. And that's what we're talking about. Jesus is like, if you'll pray and you'll fast, if you will get yourself out of all these fleshly desires, quit putting yourself in positions where you're going to give in time and time again. Quit putting yourself in friendships. Bad company corrupts, corrupts good mores. Quit putting yourself in friendships and a fellowship which is going to pull you down and distract you from, from God and from focusing on him. If, well, I'm not going there. Get yourself out of the fleshly mentality, and that will allow the spiritual mindset to come in. To be carnal is in enmity with God. It's, it's a separation from God. Your sinfulness is a separation from God. Anything that's done outside of faith is sin. Anything on it. And, and to him who knows to do good but doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So that makes it look like we sin a lot more than we think we do. It's not just every cuss word you let slip. It's not just every time that, you know, you've taken a glance at somebody you, you shouldn't have taken a glance at. There is a lot more to it than just that. When you know that you should do something right and you don't do it, you're falling short of the purpose and, and, and plans of God in your life. And that will prevent you from being able to walk in the authority. We talked about that earlier. What authority are you walking in? That comes with the anointing. If you're separating yourself from the anointing, you're separating yourself from the uh, power of God, from the authority that God's given you. Our sacrifice and intimacy with with Christ, getting rid of those things that are distractions, will better allow us to walk into the anointing. I want to look at somebody that was anointed, but then actually lost it. And this is the only time I know of in the Bible that I can think of right now where somebody actually lost their anointing. First Samuel chapter 16. King Saul was the first man anointed as king of all Israel. His anointing brought a greater level of authority. He went from searching for a donkey to ruling an entire nation. But we we'll see that the anointing was later removed from it. First spiritually, and then he, it was removed, he was removed from his very place of authority. The anointing brings authority. You're anointed to do something, and then afterwards comes something in the natural that gives you that level of, of authority. If you're, here's the thing, If you're anointed to be an evangelist, it's a very good thing to be anointed to be an evangelist before you actually go and be an evangelist. If you're anointed to be a pastor, it's a really good thing to actually be anointed to be a pastor before you go and decide to be a pastor. You don't want to jump into something too soon. Allow the power and anointing of God to come in to effect first. 1 Samuel 16, 14, just one verse here. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So he went from being anointed to actually being tormented. Exactly. Uh, you jump over a chapter early. You don't have to go there, but I want to just read a couple of verses. This is Samuel the prophet, the one that actually anointed Saul. This is him talking about what's happened. He says, When you were little in your own sight, was you not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed the king over Israel? And then verse 22, And Samuel said, Had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That's a a little bit of a fearful thought, but we also need to realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he only did it once. You know, you could get into Hebrews chapter 6 and look in Hebrews chapter 10 and look a little bit into what some of this stuff could mean, and it, it's it's a fearful thing. But when you're turning away from God, or when you you return to a lifestyle of sinfulness, you're turning away from God. When you turn to your old ways, you're abandoning. For uh, Hebrews 6 talks about repentance being a foundation. Foundations are meant to be built upon. If you're not building upon it, you're not moving forward. There isn't, there isn't just this continuum in Christianity. You're either moving up or you're moving backwards. If you're not building on the foundation, you're cracking it. You're, you're destroying it. You're ruining it. The anointing brings a level of accountability into your life. It also brings a greater level of conviction in your life because Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit came into the world to bring conviction. Conviction is a convincing of what is right and what is wrong. It's to show you this is according to God's will, or this is against God's will. The anointing will bring a greater level of that. And if you go against, like, like King Saul did, go, going after his own pride, falling into disobedience, he rejected God so much, and he removed himself so much from the will of God, he actually started out as a pretty good king. But when he fell into his own pride, and when he fell into his own deceit and his own lies, and he fell into his own sinfulness, this holy Spirit of God departed from him. We can't think that that's impossible. To happen today. You've got to be obedient to God. You've got to be obedient to God. You've got to walk in his callings and purposes. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really sad thing. You know, right in this same passage in, in 1 Samuel 16, we'll look at that in just a minute. David is, is anointed. But um, David, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, uh, when he finds out that, that Saul and Jonathan had just been slain at Gilboa, he makes a lamentation, and he says, Oh, the, how the mighty have fallen. The, the shield of Saul being cast aside as if it had not been anointed. And they used to have these leather shields, and they would anoint it with oil. And, you know, there's even something you can do with the armor of God there. That it deflects those darts. The shield represents faith. The, the oil represents the anointing. They go together, the faith in Christ and the anointing, and that's where your power is. But it was cast aside as if he had, ne- as if he had never been anointed. Uh, that's, that's a really sad, sad thing. First Samuel 16, we're going to jump back up where it talks about David, verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, David's dead. Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him, and now he was, a ruddy, uh, he was ruddy and with all a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It was the first time that David was anointed that he received the Holy Spirit. This, this is that empowering. This is that moment, that's Acts chapter 2 moment. This is the time where the power of God comes into your life and enters in. That doesn't mean that that's it, though. There's a lot of times where you're pouring out so much, you're pouring out so much that you can feel kind of emptied. And there's a lot of circumstances that come into your life where people are saying negative things or people are, are leeching on you and you just feel like you're pouring out so much that you don't have anything left to give. God brings in, you know, we, there's kind of, it's kind of a common thing here to, to, to say that we're not just, we've not just been filled with the Holy Spirit, we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's that first baptism, and I understand that. and that's, that's the anointing of God. But there's times where you need that fresh anointing. You need that fresh pouring out because you're going to give so much. David, we're going to look at that, but David was anointed three times. Every time that David received an anointing, it brought a greater level of authority in his life. First, he was anointed by Samuel. We were just reading in 1 uh, Samuel 16, and he received the Holy Spirit. And it says, uh, and that the Holy Spirit came upon David from that day forward, saying he never, he never lost it. He may have stumbled, he may have made some bad decisions, he went through the thing with Bathsheba, he numbered the children of Israel. And all these things were negative and they they had repercussions, but you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes, but it's the Holy Spirit that reveals that it was a mistake in the first place. It's, he, he's the one that's going to bring that level of understanding that you didn't have because we can't fully comprehend everything that God wills as right or God wills as wrong. It's the Holy Spirit that brings in the thoughts of God that allow us to understand what, what is acceptable, what is expedient, what is, what is right and wrong in God's eyes. He was anointed by Samuel and received the Holy Spirit. He was anointed in Hebron in Second Samuel 2 and ruled the house of Judah for seven years. Something think it was about seven and a half years. And then he was anointed to be king over all Israel in 2 Samuel 5 and reigned 40 years. And this is what's cool. This is where the anointing took David. Each time, it brought a greater level of authority. The first time he was anointed, he received the Holy Spirit. And he was anointed to be king. It was years later before he became king of all Israel. He was king in Hebron before he was king of all Israel. He had to wait for the promise of God. You may have received the calling. You may have received the anointing. And that's really good because that's going to get you where you need to go. But it's not going to be the fulfillment of that. There's going to be more that comes along the way. There's going to be times where you need that refreshing. You know, um, acts, in, in, in Acts, oh, where it said I don't remember. But it talks about those times of refreshing from the presence of God. Repent. So there's even an aspect of repentance that repent that those times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. That's, that's, a refreshing, that's refreshing the anointing in your life. He was anointed three times. And then listen to this. His son would construct the temple of God. And through his own lineage, because of the anointing in his life and his willingness to be obedient to God, his lineage would produce Jesus Christ. Jesus would be born of David's line. Because of one man's obedience, willingness to follow, it could have been Saul. It could have been King Saul, but his disobedience led to him, the Holy Spirit departing from him. David's obedience and his ability to walk into the anointing produced enough fruit in his life, produced the calling of God to be permanent, to last generations after King David had died, and forever to have some money on the throne, being Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Your anointing will give you the ability to go where you need to go. Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But you don't need to just have been filled. You need to be filled. Be continually filled. Amen. Jesus taught that greater works would we do. And those greater works don't come just as a, a product of our works, but as a product of, in one in our faith and our obedience, but also through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus taught that if we abide in him, that He and the Father will abide in us, and how has that done? Do we have the three persons of the Trinity, like living inside this temple. You know, we are we are the holy the uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are, uh, you know, we were talking about earlier in Acts chapter two, where the Holy Spirit filled the place, and then He filled the people. When He also fills this place, we collectively, if you're in this room, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are. let's so see, you look at uh, Sam, or, or Solomon. David's son, he made the temple, and then you see the glory of God filled the temple. And Jesus, Jesus, when he died on the cross, uh, it was like a marriage covenant when he died on the cross that, that ended the old covenant and allowed for a new covenant to come in. And that new covenant needed a new temple to, to carry the presence of God. How much more How much more will a living sacrifice and people filled with the Holy Spirit be a, in, in loving God and being obedient to God, how much more will God be able to fill that temple than one that's just made out of gold and wood? Isaiah 61. Jesus quoted this um, in the New Testament. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me To preach good tidings unto the meek, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, and to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build up the old waste places, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. I've got six things I want to run through real quick of, of what this reveals, of what the anointing is meant to do in our lives, but what we're meant to do with the anointing in other people's lives. Because we talked about this earlier. The, the worship today was about the blood, the return and the soon coming kingdom that we're going to walk in. If you've been anointed, what are you doing with this authority that God has given you? What are you doing with the power of God uh, to make sure that as many people populate heaven as possible? The very first thing, and this is in Acts 1.8, if you remember, it says you receive power after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Samaria, Judea, and then all the ends of the earth. It starts in a city, and then you see it goes from a city, Jerusalem, to a region, to a region, and then to all the world. It started in this one location, then it spread out. The first thing in Isaiah sixty-one that says the anointing does is that you're anointed to preach good tidings that's the gospel. The gospel literally is good news. So you've been anointed first and foremost to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is to be a witness into the world of Jesus Christ. If you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're meant to be a witness in the world. Number two, to bind up the brokenhearted. This, this is for the entire world, to encourage broken people with good news. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. This is one of the names Jesus gives the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He is a helper and he is a comforter. If you have the comforter within you, you're meant to comfort others. You're not meant to be a distressing figure at Thanksgiving and Christmas. You shouldn't be the stress causer. You shouldn't be the one that frustrates everybody. You shouldn't be the one that makes people uncomfortable. You should be the comfort in the room. You should be the carrier of the comfort in the room. Number three, proclaim liberty to the captives. In the opening of the prison doors to them that are bound that's to break curses off of people's lives and to declare freedom there's people that are in bondage we've seen it time and time again in new orleans how many people are bound in chains of drug addiction and alcoholism and it doesn't seem like anything will set them free and then all of a sudden you get them into a service where the anointings in the room and we talked about that the anointing's in the room, and they experience that and encounter encounter it because the Holy Spirit's with them in that moment. What happens to them would never happen if they just remain out in the streets. Probably not. It could. If, If God shows up in a miraculous way, we've gotta be bringers and carriers of the presence of God. That's what the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the carrier of the presence of God, and that's what we're meant to be, the temple of the Holy Ghost, to proclaim liberty to the captives, in the opening of the prison doors to them that are bound. There was a uh, early church father, um, Tertullian, not long after, uh, maybe 100, 200 years after Jesus. And he talked about dealing with the demonic. He says, when we mention the name of Jesus and remind the evil spirits of what their destiny is, we have authority over them. We have that power over their lives to cast over them to cast them out. You have the authority of God to speak into the situations of the drug addicted, of the alcoholics, of of those going through divorces, of those that are in bad marriages, of those that are going through pornography addiction, of those that are going through you name it, any sinfulness, sexual immorality, um, anything. You have the power of God inside of you to speak to those circumstances and see somebody's lives radically change, but it's not gonna happen if you don't do it. It's not gonna happen if we just sit around and, and wait for God to, to show up. God is showing up through us. That, that, that's what he wants to do. He wants to use you and I to make an impact in the world. He doesn't want him to just do all the work. If God wanted to do all the work, he wouldn't have made us. He made us so that he could work through us. He wants a relationship with us. But in wanting a relationship with us, he also wants to work with us. He wants to see how we respond to him. He wants to see how we respond to his love and his affection, and if we're gonna be willing to actually carry that to other people. Number four, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord and the day of vengeance, to preach the coming of Christ and the coming judgment. When we're ministering, we need to make it sure that the world knows that Jesus is coming back soon and that there's also a judgment day coming. A lot of times it's uncomfortable that when you're ministering to somebody and and maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend or maybe it's somebody that you work with, it can be a very uncomfortable thing to talk about judgment day. It can be a very uncomfortable thing to talk about sin. Uh, But the reality is 1 John, 2, 3 through 4 talks about that if we say we know him and we don't follow his commandments we're liars, the truth is not in us if they don't repent they don't know Jesus if they do not repent, if we do not repent we'll never reach the fullness of God's potential in our lives we'll never reach the full authority we'll never reach the fullness of the anointing that we can walk in because we've always if, if there's a lack of repentance in our life there'll always be a barrier there's always some kind of separation between us and God Number five, to comfort all that mourn in Zion. The church is spiritual Zion. The Holy Spirit is the comfort. You need to comfort one another. I couldn't tell, uh, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna bash any churches that I've been to before, but it's surprising how many places you can go to now and nobody knows your name and you don't know anybody's name. We're meant to be the body of Christ. We're meant to be unified with one another. Jesus's prayer in, in John 17 is a lot about unity. He wants the church to be unified as the body of Christ. We've gotta come together and be the comfort in one another's life. You may have a friend that is anointed. You may have a friend that is spirit-filled and they're a fireball and they're just awesome and a prayer warrior, but there's times where a bad day can get to anybody. And if you're not willing to be a comfort in their lives, there's been fiery people before that have walked out of the church because nobody helped them out. Nobody came alongside to assist them. Nobody came alongside to be that peace and comfort in their lives. Maybe they've uh, gotten to a place where it's a little bit more difficult to reach out to God. Maybe they were at this, this, this great high level at one point in their life and then circumstances came in that created some kind of negative reaction and then now they're not walking apart from God but they're not as close to Him as they once were. You've got to be that, that person to step in and, and help them in that situation. Help them get closer back to God. Be that comfort. Let the Holy Spirit work through you, work inside of you and work outward of you. And lastly, number six is that your anointing is to build up the old waste places. The anointing is is to be a work of restoration in your life. If if things are not being restored, that could be marriages, that could be friendships, that could be your relationship with God, that could be you name it. Whether it's in your own life or it's in in the life of the person next to you, your spouse. You ought to have a ministry. Each one of you have a ministry. You ought to have a ministry of restoring the things that have been made desolate. And you look at where it, it talks about that in verse 4 of uh, Isaiah 61. It says, and shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. There are generational curses that have been going on for years that you have the authority to speak into. Uh, John Baker and I, we were in Algiers just the other day. And I'd like to tell y'all about that sometime. God provided a facility in just a moment. He provided a facility. He's provided housing for John and Georgia. He's provided housing for Madison and I, our family. And he showed up in just an incredible way. But Algiers, where the church is being planted, used to be a place where they would ship slaves out of one location and across the Mississippi River into the French Quarter and up the river. And to this day, there is still a deep root of witchcraft, voodoo and hoodoo and all this other stuff rooted in that community. And we looked at earlier where it talked about Saul that it's a disobedience. Disobedience is like the sin of witchcraft. So what the community is really struggling with is, is I'm sorry, rebellion rebellion is what that community is struggling with but with the anointing with that place being the place of a desolation of many generations we know that we have the anointing and the authority to go in and speak against those generational curses and the slavery that's been going on there slavery may have been in the United States but there's still a lot of people that are captive There's still a lot of people that are behind chains right, behind the prison doors and held down in chains right now. But they can be free, but they're not going to be free if we don't go do something about it. There's people in your community that are not going to be free if you do not do something. God has a purpose for you as an individual and collectively for us as a body. But don't ever think that the pastor is going to do all the work. Don't ever think that the evangelist or the apostle or the minister... Is going to do all the work. God has a requirement on your life for you to go out and to present the gospel to people. God has a requirement for you to go out and minister to people. You ought, you really ought to desire greater things in your life. You really ought to desire. I know, you know, we may look at the, the uh, disciples negatively when they're talking about who wants to be the greatest, and Jesus is like, whoever wants to be the greatest ought to be the servant to all. We ought to be servants in our community. We're going to be reaching out and trying to touch lives and ministering to people. If you don't, the world will. The world will go out. We were ministering in Chicago, trying to minister to a homeless man. And this this woman come up who was very obviously not a Christian and was getting his attention and volunteering and giving him food. If we don't do it, they're not going to experience the love of Jesus. They're going to experience the love of the world. And that love of the world is just deceit. It's false. It's about self-pleasure. I'm doing this to make myself feel good. I'm not doing this because of a greater purpose. We don't do ministry because it makes us feel good. I don't, I don't get to go out and do ministry because I like public speaking, I don't. My parents thought I dropped out of college because I was enrolled in a speech class. You have to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable for the gospel. You've got to be willing to go out and, and reach people's lives. Even One of the most uncomfortable experiences I've ever had in evangelism was riding around Scottsboro one night after Wednesday night service. And uh, there was this group of teenagers in uh, the, the, yeah, that place, the square. Um, and I felt like I was supposed to stop and minister to them and go pray with them. So I kept driving like most of y'all would as well, probably in that moment. But as the Lord was dealing with me, I finally turned around and Apart, parked and they just looked at me like I was about to carry a machete over there or something. And I ended up going over there and praying with them. And you know, one of them was very nice. He knew the well, the well a couple of them were not so nice and just kind of kept silent in awkwardness. Uh, but who knows what happened that night? Who knows what, what that caused them to think about as the day went on or as the week went on. It's like, oh, you know, somebody from the well actually had the audacity to get out and pray with me. You know, nobody's ever done that except my dad. Nobody's ever done that except my mom you'll be surprised at the amount of impact you can have in somebody's life just by willing to say a prayer for somebody because nobody else is. Nobody else is going out and doing that. If you aren't overcoming the negative circumstances in your life, you may not be yet walking in the revelation of the power of God in you. The anointing brings authority and authority allows you to have a level of dominion in those circumstances. The circumstances are the issues in your life that... Maybe you feel like you have to call somebody else about, and I'm not saying that's wrong to call somebody up. It's not wrong to call your pastor up and tell him that you're going through a hard time. But you're anointed. If you're a spirit-filled believer, you're anointed, and you have the authority to handle those circumstances. So I, I want to give y'all a moment to just respond, as I've I've already responded to this this week myself, and just searched my own heart. Three things that, that I want to give an opportunity. Uh, to respond is, and I'll pray and then, and then uh, release it to Pastor Greg, is number one, you want to walk in a greater le- level of the anointing in your life. You've, you know you've been filled. You know you've received the Holy Spirit. But there are certain things in your life that you've not seen breakthrough in. There are certain things that maybe you need to come up and repent because maybe there's some sinfulness, some things that you don't feel like you've been fully able to walk through yet because you don't have the authority in the situation. If you need a greater level of authority and greater to walk in that greater anointing, come on up. Number two, if you've never received the anointing, maybe you're kind of like I was a few years back where you talk about the anointing and it sounds so pretty and elegant, but you just have no idea what anybody's actually talking about right now if that's you and you need the anointing in your life. When it happened for me, I didn't know what I was asking for. I just asked for it. And then lastly, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you have not fully been convinced, this is a requirement for salvation, is that you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross. If you believe that, and you want to be saved this morning, and you want the, the power of the blood of Christ to be made effective in your life, you ought to come. Somebody will be available to pray. There's pastors, there's ministers here. See somebody afterwards. A sinner's prayer is not going to set you free, but your faith in Jesus Christ will. And then once you've been saved, you ought to get in line for the anointing as well. Because that'll bring a greater level of authority in your life. Father, I pray over everybody today that wants to receive a greater level of authority in their lives, wants to walk in the anointing, maybe in a way that they never have before, and want to, to serve you in a way that maybe they never have before. God, I just pray a release of your Holy Spirit to be upon them today, God. I pray that you'd move mightily in their lives, Lord. If there's any sins that have gotten in the way that have become a hindrance between you and them, Lord, I ask that you would remove it, Lord, that you would bring forgiveness. In this moment, Lord, wash it clean. Don't let them return to those old sinfulness, those old sins, or those old remembering the old sins anymore. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let them be completely free. Let them let even that, the, the old sins be forgotten of. Remove it from their minds, remove it from their hearts, remove the guilt, remove the shame, remove any disobedience, remove any pride a level of freedom into their lives. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where the anointing of God dwells inside each and every one of you, there is freedom within you. Freedom in your life and freedom to speak it in somebody else's. But if anybody is here that needs to respond to the gospel today, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood for the remission of sins. He rose again on the third day. He ascended on high and he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. If there's anybody here today that needs that to become real to them, Lord, I just pray that there'd be a fresh revelation in their lives, that they'd be able to see the gospel. They wouldn't be hindered. They wouldn't be blind. They wouldn't be deaf to it, but that their perception would be enlightened and that their understanding would be enlightened to be able to respond to your gospel today to fully walk as a believer and disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for a fresh anointing over everybody today that seeks Him. May you fill them. May you lead them. And may you send them out to be ministers of the gospel today. In Jesus' name.